Over the weekend, on day five of counting the ballots, Democrats claimed victory in both the Nevada and Arizona Senate races, giving them control of the Senate no matter what happens in the upcoming Georgia runoff. There's lots to be said about those races and all the things that could have been done differently. But before we get into any of that, in the spirit of bipartisanship, I would just like to congratulate the Democrats on finding the votes that they needed in under a week this time. Just four days of counting ballots in the most crucial races is a big improvement over the last election. And it's a sign that by next time, they might even be able to fit all of their machine malfunctions and security camera outages into just three days. Who knows? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Friday is from Leo Leovich, who says, Arizona, 7 million people, takes three weeks to count the ballots. Florida, 21 million people, takes one day to count the ballots. They better start teaching them to count over 100 in the Arizona schools. The problem is, I think they do teach them how to count in Arizona. I think that those Arizona Democrats know how to count real well. And that actually is the reason why it took so long for them to count. And until Republicans get serious about those issues, they can expect more of those same results in the purple states, in the states that don't take care of the election integrity measures. Now, when you want to take care of the integrity of your workforce, you got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. There's so many people in my life I'm thankful for, you know, my family and my friends and my employees and my colleagues. You know, we can be grateful for those people in our lives who make our work easier, which is why it's so important to have the right people on your team. And if you want to hire those people for your business, you need ZipRecruiter. You can try it for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. ZipRecruiter uses powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Additionally, ZipRecruiter's complete suite of tools make it so easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So if you want a stress-free hiring process, trust me, you will be so thankful that you tried ZipRecruiter. Just go to our special URL to try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Pretty weird stuff out there in Nevada. Really disappointing and kind of really makes you scratch your head because the race went from plus 2% for the Republican Adam Laxalt with only 20% of the vote left to count, all the way to plus 0.5% for Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat. So that means that every single precinct, just about, that was counted later, where, where all those ballots came in later, pretty much all of them broke very, very heavily for the Democrat. Incredibly heavily, you might say. Now, it's a little weird, too, when you look at the breakdown between the Senate race there in Nevada and the governor's race in Nevada, because what you, what you see there is that more people voted in the Senate race than in the governor's race. It's kind of weird to think that someone would walk into a ballot box. Well, I guess we don't do that anymore, but that someone would fill out a uh, mail-in ballot 
and then only vote in the Senate race and not vote in the governor's race. That would be kind of weird. It's also kind of weird that 16,000 people might vote for Catherine Cortez Masto, the Senate candidate, that would not vote for Sisolak, the governor candidate. That's kind of weird. It's also kind of weird that the live stream cameras covering the vote counting areas in Washoe County in Nevada just went down in the middle of the night. They went completely dark from 11.24 p.m. on the night of November 9th all the way until 7.53 a.m. on the morning of November 10th. Just coincidentally, right there in the middle of the night, right while they're in the heat of counting all of those votes. It's kind of weird, don't you think? Don't you think that's just a little bit weird? (laughs) But you're not allowed to say that, you see, because if you raise any questions whatsoever about these votes that take a long, long time to count with all these kinds of weird irregularities and the voting machines break in Arizona and then the security cameras break in Nevada and then the numbers are kind of implausible, actually. If you raise any of those questions, you are, of course, an election denier. Ooh, spooky. So I I made this point. On Twitter, I said, the longer it takes to tally the votes, the less inclined you ought to be to believe the results. This is pretty basic stuff, folks. This is the kind of stuff that Barack Obama said 10 years ago. This is the kind of stuff that both parties used to agree on. And the tweet went viral because it's true and people know that it's true. And then once these results came in, it's just amazing how whenever it's a real nail biter, takes a long time to count. For some reason, it seems almost always to go to the Democrat in those cases. And so I I joked, as I joked in my monologue, I said, you know, congratulations to the Democrats on finding the, the number of votes they needed in a shorter period of time this time. And a lot of people thought this was kind of funny. It's either laugh or cry, I guess. There's a man, Ian Bremmer, who is basically the voice of the liberal establishment. He's one of the great exemplars of the liberal establishment, especially on foreign policy, but uh, on domestic policy as well. And Ian Bremmer retweeted my post and said, thankfully, hard to find active election deniers post midterms, but still a few out there like me, I guess, because I'm pointing out that it's a little weird how the election was conducted in Nevada and Arizona. I'm not raising questions, by the way, about Pennsylvania. I I wish we didn't have the mail-in ballots. I I mean, there are certain things we still need to do to tighten up election integrity, but I'm not raising questions about a whole bunch of states. I'm raising questions about the states where they seem to have those malfunctions, and it seems to take a really long time to count all the votes. The sort of states where, if they were foreign countries, the U.S. State Department would be now running an investigation into the subversion of democracy. If it took Argentina or Iraq the the amount of time to tally the votes that it's taking Nevada and Arizona, there would be calls from the UN, from the US State Department for an investigation because of a subversion of democracy. But because it's happening in our own country, we just turn a blind eye because it benefits the Democrats. So anyway, I point this out and Ian Bremmer calls me an election denier. Nobody who uses the phrase election denier in earnest is to be taken seriously. It's one of those phrases that is simply used as a cudgel to club people over the head, to club your political opponents over the head. The Democrats are very good at this kind of rhetoric, and this is one of those phrases. The phrase election denier 
is, was established and is propagated to call to mind Holocaust deniers. That's why you have, it's kind of a weird phrase to call someone a denier of anything. That's the point. That's why they also say climate denier now. If you don't think that the sun monster is going to kill all of mankind in 10 years, well, Ocasio-Cortez made that prediction like four years ago. So now we're down to what? Six years, eight years? I don't know. Uh, it, but if you, if you question that thesis, you're, you're not called a skeptic. You're not called a rational person as you should be. You're called an election denier. And the whole point is to draw a comparison to Holocaust deniers. So uh, I think this is very silly. It's also especially silly because the Democrats are the ones who have been rejecting the results of elections much longer than Republicans, with much less of a reason to do so, and in, in many more cases than the Republicans are doing that. Nobody has faith in the electoral system that we currently have. Nobody has faith in it. The Democrats don't have faith in it because they accuse Republicans of suppressing the vote. And furthermore, because the Democrats don't believe that we are legitimate participants in our sacred democracy, they say that we're fascists and terrorists and a domestic threat, and we're, we're, we're threatening the whole country by our very existence. That's why the Democrats don't accept the, the election results when we win. We don't accept some of the election results when they win, sometimes because they rig the elections and brag about it in Time magazine. And they're allowed to say that, and that's really good. And they're allowed to brag about it in their magazines. The moment that we bring it up, though, with any kind of criticism, that, of course, is unacceptable, and we're election deniers, and we're a threat to our democracy. So what's going on in the House? The, the House right now is still up in the air. The Senate, the Democrats took it. Took them four days, but they figured out how to keep the Senate. Now the House of Representatives is up in the air. It's going to come down to some races, probably in California. There is some maybe good news, which is that Lauren Boebert's district uh, in Colorado, I, I like Lauren a lot. She's a friend of mine. She's a conservative. Uh, Lauren is up a little bit over her Democrat challenger, Adam Frisch. Uh, this very likely will come down to a recount. The recount could take weeks, so don't hold your breath. And then the, the, the control of the House will uh, very likely come down to some California races. We're looking in Orange County at uh, Katie Porter, uh, Democrat. Uh, Mike Levin, Democrat. They've, they're holding on to slim leads there in Orange County. Uh, Ventura County's 26th District Representative Julia Brownlee uh, was reelected. The Republican Matt Jacobs had made kind of a move, might have threatened her, but uh, that went to her. Uh, then we've got, well, we've got California's 13th Congressional District. Uh, that's going to be a tight one. There's the 22nd. That's a tight one. So anyway, there's, there's just a lot of races. And if we're waiting for California to uh, you know, give us a great hope of a Republican country, then probably we're going to be waiting a very, very long time. I can't help but notice, can't help but notice that when we talk about the red wave and why didn't the red wave materialize? The red wave did materialize in some states. Materialized in Florida, that's for sure. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, it materialized in Florida because of the leadership of Ron DeSantis. No doubt there's a lot of truth to that. But it didn't only materialize in Florida. It materialized in Texas. It materialized in Ohio. It materialized, I can't help but notice, in the places that, after the last election, took election integrity seriously. So yeah, you can give a lot of credit to Ron DeSantis for that. Forget about all the other things DeSantis has done. He took election integrity seriously. He tightened up the election rules. They did the same thing in Texas. They did the same thing in Ohio. You got to wonder, had they tightened up the election rules, made it a little uh, 
less prone to fraud in places like Arizona, like Nevada, would we have seen that red wave trickle out in the way that we did? Is it, is it really, the, the, the consensus narrative right now is the, the right-wing conservative candidates are just not playing very well. We need to go very squishy and moderate. And Trump is really bad, and we need to just become the party of Mitt Romney again. That's, that's the consensus narrative, certainly on the left, but uh, in certain quarters of the right as well. I don't think that is really borne out by the facts. Look what happened in Florida. Look what happened in Texas. Look at Ohio. For goodness sakes, J.D. Vance was running as an extraordinarily Trumpian candidate in Ohio. I don't think that was necessarily the takeaway. I think the takeaway is probably the advice that FDR gave to LBJ. When LBJ lost one of his first political races, FDR said, you did a great job campaigning, but you forgot to sit on the ballot box. Now, when you want to sit down on a really important piece of equipment that can help your body get back into shape, you got to check out Echelon Fitness. Right now, text Knowles to 818181. Are you struggling to reach your fitness goals? Well, as it turns out, having world-class instructors plus a community of hundreds of thousands of people who are working toward the same goal really, really helps. The guys over at Echelon Fitness have it all worked out. Echelon Fitness is the affordable way to get workout equipment, a workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Echelon Fitness's connected app provides thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music to keep you moving. You can work out anytime, day or night. Their full range of affordable workout equipment includes stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and an auto-folding treadmill. These are all connected to the Echelon Fitness app for the full experience. Around-the-clock classes, including full-body workout programs, will keep you coming back. One membership covers a family of five. I love, love my Echelon. For a limited time, our audience can get a free bike or rowing machine with a 24-month membership. That is a free bike, and these bikes are incredible. Or a rowing machine. I don't have one of those yet, but I kind of want one. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll text, and that way I can get a free one. Uh, text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 818181. That is Knowles to 818181 to claim your free bike or rowing machine. Text Knowles to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. The establishment line on the midterm elections is that it's totally Trump's fault and Trump needs to go. Here you have it from longtime GOP pollster Frank Luntz. When he's attacking the next generation of Republican leadership, mark my words, the party's going to turn against him. And the angrier he gets at other conservative Republicans, the more that they're going to punish him with a loss of support and a loss of faith and confidence in his message and what what he brings to the political process. I, if I were advising him right now, I would tell him to take a very long vacation, simply disappear for the next 30 days because he's destroying himself every single day by attacking Ron DeSantis, uh, Glenn Youngkin, people who other Republicans uh, respect and appreciate and voted for in big numbers in the previous elections. You might agree with that advice. You might disagree with that advice. Regardless though, the problem is that Frank Luntz having been around for a very long time in GOP politics, having close associations with the more establishment leadership in the House of Representatives especially, but in the whole GOP. He doesn't have a ton of credibility here. When people like Frank Luntz attack Donald Trump 
or even sort of concern troll and say, listen, I'm really worried about you, sir. You need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to stop attacking your primary rivals. You need to just kind of go away for a little while. When, when people like Frank Luntz do that, it doesn't carry any weight because Frank Luntz has not liked Donald Trump from the beginning and represents a part of the GOP that Donald Trump came in to destroy. <laughs> when Donald Trump came in in 2015, that was a hostile takeover of the GOP. When, when people said, Donald Trump's not a real Republican, Trump's answer and the answer of his supporters was, you're damn right, that's the point. <laughs> I'm not a regular Republican. That's why I'm doing so well. You're seeing uh, similar attacks from the lieutenant governor in Virginia. It's Winsome Sears, the lieutenant governor to Glenn Youngkin, is going out on TV now, especially after Donald Trump uh, came out and attacked her boss and ticket mate, Glenn Youngkin. And, and Winsome Sears says it's time for the party to move past Donald Trump. When we look at the mission, and as a Marine, we're looking at the mission, and you know, the voters have spoken, and they have said that they want a different leader. And a true leader understands when they have become a liability. A true leader understands that it's time to step off the stage. And the voters have given us that very clear message. So because does that, does that apply within the Republican Party, Lieutenant Governor, to Donald Trump, that it's time to step off the stage? Yes, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, and indeed, that's where we are today. And as I said before, America is the prize. Why do we want, want to win elections? It's because we've got to learn to love, to get, love each other, live together, uh, govern together. And the voters are saying enough is enough. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do we want to win elections? So we can all sort of just kumbaya together. That's why. That's not why I want to win elections. Yes, I do want to love one another. Yes, I do want to take care of our fellow citizens. And the way we're going to do that is not by, you know, getting together in a drum circle and passing the peace pipe and just coming together. That that will be a consequence of of conservative government. We want to win elections so that we can have conservative government and we can suppress the bad stuff that the libs are doing and we can enact the good stuff and we can suppress falsehood and we can promote truth and we can suppress ugliness and promote beauty. I don't want to win just so we can all just kind of get along, man. I want to win so that we can win, so that we can do stuff. That the, the purpose of winning is not just so that we can have some R's in office and they can get invited to the cocktail parties. The purpose of winning is to is is not to say, okay, that's the end of the fight, but that's the beginning of the fight. To wield government power with justice, within proper limits, with, in a very moral way, to do good, to actually do stuff, okay? and not to just maintain this desiccated liberal status quo. This is why when people hear this kind of stuff from Winsome Sears, and Winsome Sears has an impressive record in many ways. Not saying she's the number one star in the GOP, she's going to be running for president in 2024, but she's got an impressive background. And winning that race with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia was a very important thing, especially because it's a purple commonwealth. But I think when voters hear from 
kind of regular run-of-the-mill politicians, which compared to Donald Trump, everybody's a regular run-of-the-mill politician. When they hear this stuff of, we just need to come together, you know, and we just need to kumbaya, they, they reject that. They recoil from that because I think, no, I don't want to. We kumbaya for a long time. We kumbaya with Romney. We kumbaya with John McCain. We kumbaya with John Boehner. We kumbaya with all these people who sold our country out and, and basically just conceded on every major fight to the Democrats. It's not that there are no legitimate criticisms of Donald Trump. It's not that there are no legitimate arguments for Trump even in, in 2024, arguments against his running. But, but attacks from people who are viewed as opposed to him from the very beginning are, are going to do nothing other than boost support for Trump. Case in point, Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland, says, Donald Trump lost us the midterms, and so he's got to go away. Look, this was, this should have been a huge red wave. It should have been one of the biggest red waves we've ever had because, you know, the President Biden's uh, approval rating was so low, one of the lowest historically. Um, more than 70% of the people thought the country was going in the wrong direction, and yet we still didn't perform. And uh, I think common sense conservatives that focused on talking about issues people cared about, like the economy and crime and education, they did win. But people who tried to relitigate the 2020 election and focused on conspiracy theories and uh, you know, talked about things the voters didn't care about, they were almost universally rejected. And I think it's, it's basically the third election in a row that Donald Trump has cost us uh, the race. And it's like, you know, three strikes, you're out. Okay, that's an argument. That's an argument that you're going to hear repeated a lot. The problem for that argument is the people who are making it, because no conservative in America cares what Larry Hogan thinks about anything. Larry Hogan is a big lib, <laughs> so no one cares. He comes from the Romney wing of the party. And so anyone that you're trying to persuade with that argument is not going to be persuaded by Larry Hogan, okay? Very, very few people are. This is why the 2022 midterms are going to be fought over for a very long time. Democrats are fighting over it right now by counting all those ballots, but the Republicans are going to fight over it too, and they're going to be fighting over who to blame. Right now, the sort of consensus mainstream narrative is it's all Trump's fault, and the Trump candidates lost, and the non-Trump candidates won. Now, I don't think this is really borne out by the data. The, the, the way that you can make that argument is by disregarding the 100 plus, well over 100 candidates that Trump endorsed who won. His record was pretty good, but then what the people who blame Trump will say is, no, 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 but in the crucial races, in the ones that were kind of tight and questionable, Trump's endorsements were really, really bad. And Trump did make some questionable endorsements in 2022. There's no doubt about that. But then you're going to see a, a question of, what exactly is at fault here? Is it election integrity? Is it the mail-in ballots? Is it the week-long vote counts? Is it all the rest of it? Is it Donald Trump? Is it, and, and there's good arguments for both of those things, Texas, Florida, and Ohio. That's a good argument for the election integrity side of it. Uh, Dr. Oz was not a great candidate. That's a good argument for blaming Trump. Okay. Or were there larger factors in play as well? Was abortion an issue? Abortion very well did play a disproportionate role. I think it was totally worth it if we can overrule Roe v. Wade, but that's a question that's going to factor in here. There are all sorts of issues. 
But people are not just going to move on. They're not going to say, okay, the election's over, we're going to move on. One, we can't move on because there's still a runoff and the Democrats are still finding ballots in Washoe County. <laughs> but, or at least they were as of a couple days ago. But the reason we can't move on is that, as has been the case from the beginning, the 2022 midterms are little more than a facade for a kind of puppet match for the 2024 presidential primary, which has already begun. And we're going to need energy for that primary. And when you want some energy, you're going to have to check out Black Rifle Coffee. Right now, go to blackriflecoffee.com, use promo code Knowles. While today's coffee often comes with hints of soy and social justice, ugh, gross, Black Rifle delivers an entirely different experience. Bold, strong, and delicious. Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee that I choose to get me through the day. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-founded and operated. Their mission is to help service members successfully transition from the military into entrepreneurship. They provide assistance to veterans who seek to launch businesses of their own with the goal of helping more companies, such as Black Rifle, uh, become a reality. Black Rifle is committed to hiring 10,000 veterans, and they are well on their way. As for the coffee itself, which frankly is my number one concern, Black Rifle is extremely selective about where they source their coffee beans. They're very disciplined when it comes to ensuring the freshness of every bag. Go to blackriflecoffee.com, use promo code Knowles for 10% off your first order or when you sign up for a new coffee club subscription. The subscription gives you free shipping on all coffee club orders, early access to club deals and promotions, and special discounts from their partner brands. That's blackriflecoffee.com, promo code Knowles for 10% off your first order or when you sign up to become a coffee club member. Black Rifle Coffee, supporting veterans and America's coffee. The best argument I've seen against Trump, and specifically in favor of DeSantis, though I, I guess you could make this argument about other GOP candidates, but right now DeSantis would be the guy to benefit from it, is that Donald Trump's poll numbers are strong. That's the, that's the argument. It seems like it's not an argument for DeSantis, and it is an argument, but Donald Trump's poll numbers are strong, and steady, and they don't really move up all that much. Whereas other candidates, and specifically DeSantis, they've got a lot of runway in front of them. So Morning Consult just did this poll. Donald Trump's support has dipped in recent months. Uh, that's the, that's the he headline that you see in the media. However, if you look at the poll numbers and you take out some of the kind of jumps and falls. The consistent numbers you see, it's about 48% of potential GOP voters supporting him. Now, in August, he reached a high of 57%, but then he dipped right back down to 48% in November. Now, Ron DeSantis, his numbers are quite different. Uh, back in May of 2021, Ron DeSantis was polling at 8%. Now, 26% say that they would support him in a 2024 Republican GOP primary, which is very impressive considering that Ron DeSantis has not publicly stated that he intends to run. I think most people expect him to run. He's clearly building a national campaign. He's clearly talking to donors, but that's very impressive numbers. And so if you're looking at these two numbers, then you got to think, okay, if Donald, 48% is very, very impressive, but if that's the wall, then it doesn't matter. 48% and a buck 50 will get you a cup of coffee. You have to get you have to be able to grow in the campaign, depending on who runs and how the numbers shake out. Whereas if DeSantis is jumping 8% to 26%, wow, sky's the limit. How far can he go? Now, there's another little wrinkle here, though. 
That's the argument you're going to be hearing from the DeSantis stands. But then there's another wrinkle here, which is, what about that little blip? Hold on, wait, what's going on? In August, DeSantis's number, Trump's numbers rather, jumped to 57% among potential GOP voters. Whoa, how do you go from 48% to 57%? What happened around August that would have done that? Oh, right. Joe Biden targeted Donald Trump and sicked his federal agents to kick down the door at Mar-a-Lago and steal his stuff. Oh, right. The New York attorney general was talking about indicting Donald Trump. Oh, right. You hear the entire political establishment moving to attack Trump. And this is very likely going to determine how Trump rises or falls. It has, I think, little to do with what Ron DeSantis does. He's already doing everything he can do. He's a great governor of Florida. And he's putting himself in the national news cycle. And he's playing his cards perfectly. There's, I, I don't think there's anything more DeSantis can do. So what's going to determine it? I think what's going to determine it is how hard the liberal establishment goes after Trump. One of the reasons that some people are still preferring Trump over DeSantis, I think probably the main reason, is that the establishment just freaking hates Donald Trump. And they clearly want to kill this man. And they're doing everything they can. In some cases, it seems illegally (laughs) or certainly unprecedentedly as a legal matter to stop this guy from running in 2024. And the fact that the liberal establishment is going after him so hard is for many people a strong argument to support him. Because it tells many people, man, this guy is still the one who's right over the target. This guy is still this agent of chaos. This guy is still completely unpredictable, uncontrollable man. For all of his flaws, and he has myriad flaws, this guy is still something kind of special. If Joe Biden and the DOJ and the whole establishment keeps coming after Donald Trump, expect that 48% number to go up again. Expect it to spike to 57%. Expect Trump to do well in the primary. Expect him to to take the nomination. If the establishment ignores Trump, with these kinds of numbers, and if Donald Trump keeps irritating some of his supporters, then maybe you could see a big opening, for, especially for someone like Ron DeSantis, who's playing his cards totally right and who is very, very popular with GOP voters. Now, there's another argument against Trump, which is on this exact same point, and I haven't heard other people talking about it, which is, if you believe that the establishment is very corrupt and they rig elections, and they're doing things to Donald Trump that are unprecedented and probably illegal. Then you've got to ask yourself this. Okay, so you're going to nominate Trump because of that. But then don't you think they're just not going to let him win? Don't you, don't you, if you're really saying that things are as bad as you say that they are, then they're not going to let him win, right? But then, of course, the answer to that kind of musing is, well, sure, but I'm not just going to go along and play their game. If the, if the establishment says, pick anybody other than Trump, I'm not going to play along with that because then I've already lost, because then I'm allowing them to control who the GOP nominee is. These are the forces that are at play. I think where, the, where most of the conversation is right now is about, why did Trump send out that tweet or fake tweet? Why did he send out that truth social comment? Why did he send it? Why is he talking about Glenn Youngkin? Well, come on, why is he doing that? Hey, look at these great policies in Florida and Virginia. And sure, that, right, that that all plays. But the crucial factors here, the things that actually move the numbers are going to be coming from, from different sources. And a lot of it is going to depend on how the ruling class treats 
the Donald treats the former president. You, uh, there's, there's kind of a relation to Twitter. You know, Twitter now is in absolute chaos, and, and Elon Musk is another agent of chaos and agent of change. Elon Musk comes in, and he just democratized the blue check mark. The tyranny of the blue checks is over. Because now, if you pay eight bucks, you too can have your own blue check mark. Now, why would you do that? I don't know, because now, if everyone can have a blue check mark, then the blue check mark doesn't mean anything. But think about, think about what that means. The blue check mark was intended for verification. The blue check mark means that this person is who he says he is. And the reason it developed in the first place is because if you had public figures, you, then you would have lots of accounts come in to impersonate those public figures. So you needed a check mark to say, who is the actual public figure? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Now, the meaning of the check mark started to change long before Elon Musk showed an interest in Twitter. It was when Richard Spencer, the white identitarian activist, uh, aroused the ire of everybody and all the people in Silicon Valley. And so they took his checkmark away. It was very strange. Why did They took his checkmark away, why? Because he was no longer Richard Spencer? <laughs> did he cease to be Richard Spencer? No, it's because they recognized that the blue checkmark connoted not just a, a, a sort of identity, and not just a, a verification, but a certain prestige. If you had a blue checkmark, you were very, very fancy. It was the sort of lords and serfs model of Twitter. And that now, uh, now Elon has totally changed that, and, and the blue check mark just means you paid $8. It's the same sort of thing that happens with uh, our republic or our sacred democracy. <laughs> you hear that phrase. When uh, Ian Bremmer or somebody calls me an election denier because I raise basic questions about why the security cameras went out for eight hours or why it's taking five days to count the votes. You know, stuff that any normal person would have been able to ask five years ago, but we're not allowed to ask it anymore. And when, when the Democrats refer to our sacred democracy, they don't say our republic because they want to tie our form of government to their own party, which is the Democrat party. And it's ironic because when the word democracy pops up, it doesn't pop up at the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. It does crop up in the Federalist Papers always negatively, <laughs> always with disapproval. But anyway, they refer to our democracy. But one has to recognize that our democracy or our republic or just our system of government is not the same one that it used to be. The way that our government works today is not the way that it worked in 1796. The way that our government works today is not the way that it worked in 1885 or 1955. Or it, it has changed dramatically over time. So we use the same terms to refer to our government, our, our democracy, our republic, our whatever. But we're not referring to the same thing. We, 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 we have the same symbol, just like the blue check mark. It's the same symbol, but it means something totally different than it used to mean even just a few years ago. And whereas it may not have been proper or right to raise questions about the elections 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, the system has changed. The, the system of elections 
has changed. And the conservatives are a little bit slow on this, but it's, it's, the, it's the liberals' main trick. I mean, this is the thesis of my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, number one national bestseller, still selling very well, makes a great Christmas present, is that the Democrats are just much more adept at, at uh, using language and that they uh, pervert language as the primary means of achieving their political ends. So when they refer to these things, when they refer to men as women, <laughs> or when they refer to foreign nationals as undocumented, dreaming future Americans, or when they refer to rigged elections that they admitted are rigged in Time Magazine as, you know, the, the persistent and enduring symbol of our sacred democracy, they're lying to you, they're deceiving you, and, and then they gaslight you whenever you raise the question, whenever you point out that, that, uh, that the way that they're describing things does not correspond to reality. Speaking of how they use language, especially on sexual questions, well, radical gender ideologues decry the harms of single-sex bathrooms and comedy specials and dead-named celebrities. Kids are the ones that are actually suffering. Just recently, the FDA issued a warning that prescribed puberty blockers, the ones that transgender activists claim are harmless and reversible, can actually cause vision loss and brain swelling. The experimentation on children has to end. To fight back, we must expose and defend the truth, such as has been the case in Matt Walsh's documentary, what is a woman? With over 5,000 audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, what is a woman is pushing back against the left's dangerous narratives. Help us keep the momentum up by watching and sharing the movie. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles today to become a member and watch it. Things are not always what they seem. You especially see this in the case of FTX and Sam Bankman Freed. Have you seen this guy? If you, I saw, I have no idea what this was because you know me, I'm a boomer. You know, I'm older than a boomer. I'm whatever Joe Biden is. That's what I am, at least in my mind. That's at least how I identify. So I'm not really into crypto or, you know, computers or, I don't know, Donkey Kong or whatever you kids are playing out there. So I, I didn't know who this guy was or what his exchange was. FTX was a, a crypto exchange headquartered in the Bahamas. It was launched in 2019 it had accrued 1 million users by this year. And all of a sudden, users demanded their money. So there was a run on this exchange. They demanded $6 billion in withdrawals, and the exchange collapsed. Why did they demand the $6 billion in withdrawals? They demanded it because of an article published by Coindesk, which revealed that the two arms of this guy's empire, Sam Bankman-Fried, were sharing a lot of assets. We're doing lots of dodgy stuff. So he had the, the exchange and he had sort of like a hedge fund. And the, there was a back door that was allowing the money to go between the two. And so their balance sheets were totally bogus and the thing was pretty much a Ponzi scheme. This comes out, Bankman Freed uh, goes broke. And I'm not sure that people even know where he is right now. It's just he, he's either the Madoff of our generation or it's the Enron of our generation. It's a major, major financial scandal and crime and collapse. Now, why does that matter? I always thought the crypto thing was weird, so I, I never got all that into it. But, but people got, you know, people, I mean, major institutions invested in crypto. And so why does it matter? Why, why is it interesting to us? Well, it has nothing to do with crypto. 
or the Bahamas or anything like that. It has everything to do with uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's extracurricular activities, his hobbies. Bankman-Fried was the number two donor to the Democratic Party this cycle. Number one is George Soros. You're not allowed to say that, though. It's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory to mention who the largest donor to the Democrat Party is. George Soros, who is, I don't think he's exactly a practicing Jew, <laughs> last I checked. But anyway, the libs tell me it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, and I'm not allowed to mention that he's the number one donor. Well, the number two donor is this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried uh, gave at least $38 million to left-wing causes and political action committees, committees and candidates. This is what they do. This is what the libs do. They use their clout, they use their social prestige, they, they use their money to puff up even more their semblance of virtue. They make it seem like they're the most altruistic, wonderful, caring people in the world. And yet the point is always to give them breathing room and to give them an opportunity to fill their pockets more and more. You see this on some of the great reset. When we talk about the great reset, the fact that the libs are trying to make people eat bugs and the libs are trying to uh, make people live in these gigantic, awful skyscrapers in these tiny little pods and that they're the, the great reset, which is this project of the World Economic Forum, which involves some of the most powerful people on earth who say explicitly, you will own nothing and be happy. You will, you will not have any possessions. Well, the, the, flowery arguments that they make at their conference in Davos is that this, this is for the good of humanity. This will allow the human collective to grow and progress. And the, the funny thing about all of their schemes and their plans, a lot of which revolve around climate change, but they, but they have all sorts of other doomsday prophecies, uh, overpopulation and all the rest of it. The funny thing about all their schemes to address all of these Armageddon scenarios, is that all the schemes always seem to make those people richer. Isn't that kind of weird? It's not, it's not just simple enough to say, well, this is a movement from the radical leftists who are trying to push their utopian vision on the world. Yeah, sure, that's part of it. It's also capital. <laughs> it's also deeply entrenched, moneyed interests who use all this woke nonsense as a smokescreen to fill their pockets more and more. It's also that. And that's what you saw from Sam Bankman Freed. But it was all an illusion. Speaking of left-wing Democrat illusions and delusions, an MSNBC panelist is floating a ticket for 2024. I, I, of all that I've heard, you know, we've heard about, we need DeSantis. Oh yeah, DeSantis is great. We need Trump. I still like Trump. People, a lot of people don't like him anymore. I still like Trump. We need, I don't know, Ted Cruz. I love Ted Cruz. That'd be great. Oh, we need this guy. We need that guy. We need this guy. I've now heard, this is my favorite ticket. Uh, MSNBC, take it away. Let me throw out a couple of other names if I can. So you've got Val Demings, right? You've got Liz Cheney, um, Sherry Beasley, Tim Ryan, a top Democrat suggested to me, watch for Tim Ryan in years in the future to run for president. I mean, I don't know. Do you count these folks out? I, I, is, is, are many of them maybe the right candidate in the wrong state? 
Well, what about if we have we pair up Liz Cheney and Stacey Abrams and actually start talking about universal voting and election reform? I could see them doing kind of a czar thing with the administration that's completely bipartisan. That would be exciting. I mean, stuff I think, does turn over yeah, in does. this point well, in no, but the there's commissions that the, that the president can create. And there is definitely an appetite for this kind of movement of like, how do there's not one American who has not experienced an election uh, election day and said, this is flawed. There has to be a better way. Before I get to her point on elections, yes, I endorse this ticket. I, I will campaign for Cheney Abrams in the Democrat primary. Yes, this is, this is what we need. If Cheney Abrams run in 2024, some of the biggest losers in the United States, even with the power going out and the water pipes bursting and the cameras turning off and the machines malfunctioning, even with that, Republicans will win 57 states. So let, let's do it, baby. <laughs> I'm in. Every, all, all of the 57 states that Barack Obama remembered, that's, that's what the Republicans are going to win if they get it. Uh, on her point, though, she makes a very important point here. She says they should run on election reform. Election reform is very important to people. Now, she is describing election reform as make it even easier to cheat, rig it even more for the Democrats. She calls it universal voting. What does that mean? Everybody has the legal right to vote in America. Everybody's had the legal right to vote for a century and a half. Everybody has had the federal government enforcing the legal right to vote for, what, 60 years now, at least. So what is she possibly talking about? She's saying basically make sure that every single person casts a ballot. That means more ballot harvesting, means fewer ID requirements, it means a lot more dead people voting. <laughs> it means uh, we're going to be counting until the Democrats win. So her, what she means by election reform is really bad. But when she says there at the end, she says, there's now one person in America who's gone to vote recently who has thought this is a functioning system. And she's totally right about that. Where's Ian Bremmer to call her an election denier? Let's go. Come on, Ian. Come on, liberal establishment. She's an election denier. She's saying that there are serious problems with our voting system. Oh, right. Everybody says that. Every single person says and thinks that. It's just that when inconvenient people, when enemies of the established regime and ruling class, when the conservatives, the actual conservatives come out and say that, that's the problem. We're not allowed to point it out. MSNBC can talk about it all day. It's a, it is a big issue. And, and I think conservatives and Republicans should take her advice seriously to heart because if we want to get results like Florida and Texas and Ohio, we need really good, strong, conservative government in those states. Yeah, we need the DeSantis model in those states. That would be awesome. But, you know, Ohio, I don't know. You wouldn't say that Ohio is kind of leading the charge for the conservative revolution in America in the way that Florida is, right? Or even Texas is not, not doing quite the same thing. What, what was the big factor there, especially in Ohio, which is kind of a purple state? Now some people are trying to say, no, it's a firmly red state, but that's not quite true. Ohio has, is very much in play. If, if anyone turned it into a red state, it is Donald Trump, actually. Certainly before Trump, it was a very purple state, leaning to a blue state sometimes. So what's the big determining factor here? I think it's probably this election issue. And the liberals don't want to talk about it because they're, they're winning now, because they were able to rig the elections using the excuse of COVID. 
the conservatives do want to talk about it, but that's, there's that squishy block, the kind of squishy establishment conservatives who want to be liked by the New York Times, who want to get invited on CNN, who want to seem really posh, especially, look, Thanksgiving and Christmas are around the corner. They don't want to be called a crazy, kooky, wacky person by, you know, their lesbian, purple-haired nef- niece. I was going to say nephew, maybe nephew, who knows these days, uh, at, at the dinner table. And so they want to seem like the really respectable sort of establishment conservatives. And they don't want to raise this question of election integrity either. It's important. And a lot of the conservatives, the people are, that everyone's looking up to right now, Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, they, they took election integrity seriously, especially knowing that, that they and their friends would be on the ballots. They took it seriously, and every other Republican should too. Today's Music Monday. We've got a T-Swift video. Again, I, I don't think I've ever intentionally listened to an entire Taylor Swift song in my whole life. I don't really know anything about the girl. But her last song seemed to me fairly conservative, which was jarring to me because I was told she was a huge lib. So anyway, the producers have teed up a T-Swift song. The rest of the show continues now. If you don't want to miss it, then you got to become a member. And of course you don't want to miss it. So click the link in the description and join us.